culture starts at the top and great customer experience, the only competitive strategy in today's world, is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer-first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. The one thing that's the most rewarding about my job is the moment when I find a leader who has this aha moment, the moment they realize the steps that they need to take to create a culture-centered organization and improve their customer experience. This is why I wake up in the morning. One of those people in my life is Bill Lynch, the president of the Specialty Food Association. I was there when he had that moment. I witnessed that transformation when he knew what needed to be done. And he executed a great transformation that will create more value for his members and create more joy for his employees. Coming up, you'll hear the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do when you move an experience from the physical to the digital. Hi, Bill. Hi, Liliana. So great to uh, see you and to hear from you. And uh, thank you for having me as a guest on your podcast. I am so, so happy to have you and to start this journey with a, a friend, somebody I can call a friend as much as I can call an inspirational leader. I really thought about who I want to be the first guest on this show. I had many ideas, but I know my journey with you is both professional and personal. What, what better person than you to have today? I want to start with a question that comes from my research on you. I kind of, because I'm a fan of yours, I am lurking in the background on digital media. So I listened to another podcast um, where I found something interesting about you that I didn't know before, and that was your very first job. So I want to pick it up there because this is a very unorthodox beginning of a career, uh, but it also felt from the way you told the story on that podcast uh, that it's something that shaped your emotional intelligence, which I believe is the, the very ethos um, of customer experience. So for those who don't know yet, what was your first job? I think you're referring to when I worked at a cemetery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was a, a young kid. Uh, I was, uh, I think, about uh, 15, 16 years old. And, I, I, you know, at, at the time, I didn't really think too much about it. it, it for me, it was a, a summer job to make some money. Um, but what I learned through, I actually ended up working there every summer of my you know, high, high school years. But what I learned through that experience was that I really got to understand uh, how important of uh, uh, an experience that was for the people that were there in attendance to honor the person who had passed. And initially, when I took the job, I thought I'd be just cutting grass and, you know, having a nice summer <laughs> in the sun and, and uh, you know, just doing some landscaping. And it, and it turned out to be much more, but it impacted me in an emotional way that I never expected. And, um, you know, it, 
It's interesting because now that I look back at it, when I think about the customer experience, there were many steps to that process that were very well thought out because obviously it's a sensitive time. It's a very emotional time for the people involved. And I recall uh, my supervisor at the time, he had taken us through every step of the process from the moment the cars start arriving into the cemetery and how we lead them to the area and then you know the proceedings and where we should stand and how we should engage. And at the time, um, to me, it was a little overwhelming because I didn't anticipate that I'd be put in a position uh, like that. But I got to tell you, from a from a very early age, I learned how to empathize with the person who's going through that experience. And maybe some some weird way that's kind of sat with me through my career. And I've always tried to empathize with whether it's a staff member um, or whether it's a person we're trying to serve, a customer. And uh, so I, I think very early on, those lessons that I can still remember vividly to this day really resonated with me. And probably shaped in a, a pretty significant way how I approach customer experience. Yeah, I, I love this story. This is probably one of my favorite stories of your background. I I also, you know, think it's so interesting. I never thought of this as well, by the way, <laughs> until you spoke about this. But it proves that in every human um, experience, details matter. If you think about what your supervisor did, you know, he really rehearsed it because um, all of these little minute things and details shape the customer experience. And that's why it's such a hard thing to achieve in a, in a consistent and sustainable way, because it's a myriad of things that kind of have to be orchestrated and be intentional for the, the vision to come to life. Uh, but when it does, it's it's just such a human and deep, in, you know, experience. Um, that's kind of what I love the most about customer experience. I, I, when I heard the first time the story, I thought about my beginning. I don't have such a deep story, but I do remember starting at a restaurant as, as a waitress, which um, I know you also have done some of that in your background. It, it essentially, I think, is important, I think, when we're young, to do something like this because it seems to be um, something that sticks <laughs> with us. Yeah, and and it's unfortunate that uh, many of you know the, the kids that are uh, you know that were our age back then when we had those jobs, you know, with the pandemic at the moment, it's it's stifled sort of that development and those opportunities. And um, one of the things that you taught me early on, Liliana, when when we first came to know each other, is about those attention to details and, um, you know, not to, uh, you know, continue on with the, the cemetery story, but it, it's really interesting now that I think about it because beyond the, uh, funeral processions and whatnot that I experienced just on a day-to-day -day basis when we would, we were essentially caretakers of the land at the cemetery. And it was every family, uh, you know, f f it's, for anybody, um, you know, that, that has visited a cemetery and, you know, maybe in some way is connecting with somebody who passed, it's, it's a very, uh, special moment for them. And, um, just on a day-to-day -day basis, people would show up and they'd go to their, uh, you know, past mem uh, family members, gravestones and whatnot. And for them, um, 
you know, we had to be very sensitive to that and we had to understand the different needs of the different families. And so, um, there were particular families that wanted their uh, plot of land uh, taken care of in a in a particular way, and the the attention to details is something that you really emphasized when when we started our work mm-hmm. together. You know, I think that's a really a really key factor to a great customer experience. Yeah. Well, let's talk about where we met. <laughs> that's a good transition. <laughs> to uh, the Specialty Food Association uh, and what it is. Uh, I'll let you tell the story, but uh, one uh, confession I have is I don't think I knew as much as I should have when I joined. And my appreciation and respect for the organization grew the more I I was working uh, in the association. And I realized as a a New Yorker that for me, the genesis and and the birthplace of of Specialty Food Association was the the thing that I connected the most emotionally um, and that I kind of wanted to bring up today. Uh, It would be great if you kind of tell us what Specialty Food is, um, but also tell a little bit of that story of how it started and what was the purpose of it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's that was the beginning of our friendship, yes. and uh, I am so grateful for uh, uh, that project work that you did for us because it really set a course of thinking about uh, the customer experience in a much different way. And so, uh, so I, I've been with the Specialty Food Association now for over twenty years, and I'm, I'm honored to serve as the president. And uh, I've uh, worked my way up through various levels in the organizations, working in different areas. And, uh, you know, when I when I met you, uh, you had come in to help us with the customer experience, in particular around our membership. Uh, we're a membership organization. Uh, I would say around 90% of our members are makers of specialty food products. These are the folks that do handcrafted, small batch, artisanal uh, products that you see in uh, specialty food sections of uh, Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, but you're seeing more and more specialty foods in so many different areas and big box stores, and um, it's it's really a, a growing industry. It's a hundred and I think fifty four billion dollar industry. Um, but back to our engagement. We uh, not only are a membership organization, we have a number of programs and services that we offer our members. And at that time, in particular, we had uh, what we call the Fancy Food Show. We do two shows every year, one in San Francisco, one in New York. And uh, we've been doing these shows. I think the summer Fancy Food Show uh, we had been doing for over 60 years. And, and the winter Fancy Food Show in San Francisco we'd been doing for over 40 years. And when you do a show that has had success for so many years, um, you have a tendency to get a little complacent and maybe not pay as much attention to the details. And so here we are. We're very proud of what we do as an organization. And I believe Liliana's first show was, I, I think it was our summer fancy food show in New York. And here comes this whirlwind <laughs> of energy and activity. And and it's our, our opening day, which is traditionally, uh, you know, and, and Liliana comes from the world of JetBlue and um, line management and a great customer experience that she developed there. And she's looking at our registration experience and she's like, what is going on here? This is a disaster. Look at these lines and people are frustrated. And how long is it taking them to get from point A to point B? And, And I'm just kind of like, 
my head was about to explode because, you know, I think we just as an organization and maybe in the trade show industry in general, we've kind of come to accept that there's going to be lines, there's going to be frustration and whatnot. And Liliana would not accept that. And uh, that's what I loved about you. And you totally opened up my eyes as well as uh, a number of other staff members who may not have been as open to your uh, feedback and your assessment, but it was really uh, what we needed to say, you know what, it, we don't have to settle for a subpar experience. This can be better. And, and you really helped us, uh, you know, recognize that and create, uh, a much better, uh, end user experience. And, um, you know, it, it, it still resonates with me because I think back, um, you know, o- over many years of, of being involved with those shows and, um, I think about the different touch points, and that one in particular is something that we we always struggled with. And um, you you really came in and you identified the issue pretty quickly and kind of opened up all our eyes. <laughs> oh, thank you for the story. Well, I remember taking pictures and sending them to my friends, and I was like, "Look at this! Look at this!" <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I particularly am passionate about. Um, Lobbies, not just because of the JetBlue experience, but because even from best practices, this is the first impression. And there is a lot of research that says that first and last impression are things that we should be looking to to kind of have perfectly done because these are the things people kind of emotionally just remember. I appreciate this story. I mean, today there are no shows physically. Um, I, I hope we'll touch on that later of what's next for you. Uh, but I think that's valid in a digital world as well. Um, you know, how do you register to go to the doctor or how do you register to go to, to the virtual event is still a, the first touch point. The pivot to digital that, uh, traditional trade show and event organizers, uh, had to make, you saw early on a lot of missteps Mm -hmm. and, uh, a lot of people that rushed to put these things together. And, and what we did, we took a uh, maybe a, a little bit of a different route, and we took a little bit more time to really thoughtfully think through uh, what the appropriate vendor to work with would be and, and the type of experience we wanted to create. And um, what I think, unfortunately, is happening out there is that uh, a lot of organizations are throwing these things together and not thinking about the uh, customer experience, and it's souring uh uh, the experiences for for these folks, and they're getting a little bit of a uh, fatigue. And, um, and unfortunately, we're finding that uh, even at a, a very reasonable price point that we put out there, uh, people are, are are a little bit uh, turned off to some of these experiences um, with uh, other organizations, and it's a, it's a shame um, because I think there's a lot of great opportunity digitally, and, uh, and we, we certainly are investing our time and resources there at the moment. I think what you see is the result that some people probably thought that's temporary, so they just put something to get some revenue in short term, and short term yeah, thinking yeah. never... It's it's never been a good business practice, and yet it happens all the time. <laughs> Liliana, I'd love to hear uh, your opinion on this because when when we recognize the fact that 
in in person live events were going to be going away for uh, a little bit of time, we recognized obviously we needed to pivot and we needed to create a digital experience for our customers where they can continue growing their businesses, connecting uh, with buyers of specialty foods and whatnot. And one of the things I saw early on was that a lot of organizations were trying to replicate a trade show mm. in a digital environment. So they were creating sort of these like registration area landing pages with, you know, visible sort of like a look that you would see at a trade show. And we took a little bit of a different approach there, but I'm just curious um, if you don't mind no. me, maybe turn, turn in of the course. conversation around a little bit, asking you a question. How, how do you feel about that that transition to digital and the idea of trying to replicate what takes place physically, you know, in a, a digital environment. Yeah, well, I I think that um, that is probably the wrong question. So if you start with this question, you end up with that landing page. The right question is, what is my purpose in the ecosystem of the business community? What is my strategy? What do I want to achieve? And then think about the new assets and resources you have, which is digital, and think about how to achieve that. In other words, instead of going with something that you've done before and just copy pasting it into a new environment, which may have new resources or powers you're not even utilizing because you're just going with the old model, um, the right conversation is, hey, our purpose is to help businesses connect with buyers well, purposes to get uh, a former architect who makes jam uh, learn better how to run a company and that she needs to get a trademark because there's another jam company with the same name. Uh, if that's your purpose in a digital world, I would, I would just kind of go there and say, okay, what should we do? And it may be a trade show. It may not be a trade show. It may be a completely different set of services and, and journeys you create for these people. Um, I, I have a, a client now in the educational sector, and they're, they're figuring out how to engage students remotely. And often what I hear is, well, the engagement is lower because students are not checking their online portals or because there, is, there isn't that much... Uh, interaction, blah, blah, blah. And I say, well, yeah, but you also now have opportunity to, to get students that work during the day to do an evening class. Now, now there's this flexibility depending on the population of who is your student that you're opening a door um, and, and opportunities for new students. Uh, it's it's just how you look at it. And then if you know the engagement is the problem, which is also in membership organizations, that's kind of like the big nut that needs to be cracked. Digital is a great way to keep engagement up. The, the challenge is it needs good content. And what happens is people just send stuff for the sake of sending stuff. You know, my newsletter takes so long to do. And so many people in the beginning when we started the Petrova experience were like, well, just send whatever. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I respect my audience. My audience is smart people. They may not always open the newsletter, but when they do, I want them to feel something like they've learned or something interesting happens. And then what happened? People start responding to my newsletters. And the people working with me were like, oh my God, 
we've never seen that. I'm like, yeah, but have you seen somebody work so hard on a newsletter? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's just yeah. kind of what you put in it. You it's what you get out. But the short answer is, I think that it's the wrong question to say. How do I do a trade show online? And it seems like that's what people are doing. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And, um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned there is is respect for people's time. And, you know, it, it tells because I got to say, I, I get tons of different newsletters. I try to unsubscribe for most of them, but there are probably two that I could think of, yours being one of them, that I actually spend the time looking at because I know that it was crafted in a way that is respectful of my time. And I know I'm going to find value in it. And, uh you know, I, I think as a, a customer of yours, the Petrova experience is I totally respect that you are taking that care and consideration of me as a customer and, you know, my limited time. So uh, I, I think that's fantastic. People and we, generally speaking, we all talk about that customer experience and culture starts at the top. And like we, we hear that Forbes magazine is publishing tons of articles on that, but I don't think we talk enough about how important that is. And my question to you is like, do you think that if you have an organization with people that are passionate about their customer or member, uh, people who really naturally want to do the right thing, but they have a leader who doesn't. Essentially, you have just one person with the wrong mindset, but that one person is at the very top. Do you think that that's enough to impact the whole output of the customer experience? I would say definitely based on my experience, Liliana. Uh, I, I've seen the good and bad over the course of my career of how important leadership is. And essentially, it's... Uh, those lessons that I've learned over the course of time where I recognize how important strong leadership is. And I think a, a great customer experience starts with how you treat your own staff and uh, creating a, a strong culture within the organization. Because if I'm not serving my staff members uh, in a way that's uh, built on trust and empathy and respect, then they in turn are not going to be able to create these wonderful experiences for our members in this case. And uh, so I, I definitely think that the the leadership position is very important to a great customer experience because um, the staff are watching and <laughs> I I recognize that. And so I, uh, I'm very considerate of how I treat staff and uh, not, not just me, but it has to really emanate throughout the organization. And that's where I think determining core values is, is really critical for an organization because it's essentially agreeing to what how, how we're going to live each day as an employee of the SFA. And, um, you know, again, if we're treating each other well and we're respectful and we feel good about that, then in turn, the, the customer is going to feel it. And I know there's a fine line between customer service and customer experience, but I, I think strong leadership and a, a strong culture benefit all areas of, of that. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And I guess my my realization, I, I kind of knew it on paper, but with the Petrova experience, I'm seeing it even more, is that it, it, you, the culture, and, and that's what we do, right? We go and we define the, the values for companies and, and their culture. 
However, if the person at the top does not really follow through to carry that in the day-to-day actions and behaviors, um, it does not come genuine. And then it actually can even backfire. People like you and me, I don't know, we're probably born with that radar. And then we went to our first job. We just were receiving the signals. There are people that are not born that way or people that are just they they have more process in their head or they they think about just different things and when you go to them and you say hey you have to define culture and live it it's not really their natural thing to do so at this point i've decided you know what you don't have to love it but if you're a leader you have to respect it enough like taxes it's not our favorite thing to do but we do it because we got to run a business right and i i guess the other thing that i am more passionate about now than ever is that i really have to get that top guy or woman like i need to get them i don't know in what um capacity would it be a full-fledged conversion and you know indoctrination or is this like (laughs) i just will give them the way to fake it (laughs) i don't care (laughs) as long as i get the result of this is the culture and this is what you're going to live every day. Yeah. And I've, I've seen how you care for the people that work for you. And, you know, that really goes a long way because you know that if you need one of your employees to go that extra mile to take care of a client, et cetera, they're going to do it. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it doesn't have to be, a, a, you know, a, a difficult situation. It, it's, uh, you know, pe- people, when they feel like, you care about them and you're invested in them, they're going to, they're going to go the extra mile for you. We have our strengths and weaknesses, right? And, uh, so even if you're at that top position as a leader and culture is not something that's comfortable or comes natural to you, well, you, you have to, like you said, at least respect it and you have to invest in it. And if you have somebody on your team, that's great at culture, leverage Mm -hmm. that right you know and and let them sort of be the champion and and help you and guide you because uh you know there's really no ignoring uh you know creating a strong culture that's for sure coming up more with bill lynch including the one thing bill believes has the biggest impact on great customer experience the one thing is don't rush into copying and pasting your physical experiences into the digital world. Gather the team and think with fresh eyes and creatively how you can deliver value to your customers in the digital world. You may find that the digital world is offering you much better opportunities than the physical world ever did. If you're interested to continue this conversation, we would love to hear from you. Reach out to us at our website, thepetrovaexperience.com, or you can reach out directly to me at Liliana at thepetrovaexperience.com. Just mention you are a listener of this podcast, and we will offer you a free customer experience consultation. We will explore how we can improve your customer experience. How does a president that believes in, in, in all the things, customer experience, how, how do you approach the budget? How are you going to structure the financials around customer experience? Because, you know, everything costs money. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
It, it does cost money, um, but it's a worthwhile investment. I, I learned at some point in my career that uh, when you retain customers, uh, you end up with uh, a lifetime of much more, uh, you know, I, it's not all about revenue, obviously, as a not-for-profit association, but um, th that engagement goes uh, a much longer way. So, uh, you know, and acquiring, obviously, acquiring new customers or in our case, members costs a lot more money. It, it's a worthwhile investment. One of the things that I, I've tried to do once I s stepped into this role is really kind of identify what's going to move the needle in terms of delivering member value and a great member experience. And I think uh, sometimes organizations get caught up in doing a lot of different things. And I think you really have to strip away a lot of the things that may not be resonating or creating value uh, for your customers and invest and go deep into the things that are moving the needle. So for us, um, just the other day, we were talking about this internally. Uh, we've got probably 45 or so different programs and services that we offer our membership. And w when we survey the members, are, are they all seen as valuable opportunities? And what type of engagement do we have in, in those uh, activities? And w when you start looking at these, these different markers, you understand that, wow, if we just took our time, energy, and resources and invested it in the things that are going to move the needle for the members, in our case, uh, you know, customer experience in that investment is, uh, definitely important. And, um, you know, it's, it's how our members experience us as an organization. Um, you know, and, and right now for the most part, it's through digital means it's through, uh, these virtual events that we're doing, we're doing virtual tasting experiences and education and share groups and whatnot. And the, the people on the front lines, uh, for us as an organization, uh, they are the folks that are really creating these uh, great experiences for our members. And we need to be sure we're investing in them and, and in training and um, ensuring that, uh, you know, those touch points are, are, are going to be great experiences for our members and that they walk away feeling that they're proud to be a uh, part of this association and which in turn retains them as a member and helps us to continue delivering more value to them over the course of time. So um, I, I, in terms of budgeting, I, I think you have to make it a priority because if you don't, um, you're going to find that it's going to impact you. It might not impact you immediately, but over the course of time, you're going to start at least in in our business, you're going to start to see uh, more and more uh, uh, issues with retention. For me, kind of from my experience, when I had zero to no impact, even though I had title the title, I had probably I don't know less than one percent of the total budget of an organization. And then I mm. went back to see what was the budget that I had before when I was effective. And I heard from my finance guys something like 15%, 10, 15%. This is not a small number when you look at a total budget. Uh, and especially for bigger organizations, the zeros can, can add up. Um, however, if you put it in the right programming and you divide it and you really think about what we talked about earlier, that the details matter. In other words, an investment in a website design or or some sort of a digital experience, maybe in IT, but if you have the, the mindset of customer experience, essentially it is a customer experience investment. It's not an IT investment. Uh, then these numbers can 
can be spent quick, pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. When I think of organizations that I think are, are, are doing a great job in terms of creating a community of customer advocates like Peloton or Apple or Lululemon, um, yeah. I'm sure there's many others that you know come to mind. But um, I, I just think that the, the investment sort of extends beyond uh, – you know, what you see in front of you. So when you say a website or what have you as one example, but, you know, creating those positive experiences for those customers or members, uh, they become advocates and then they amplify the positive message and uh, the positive experiences. And, you know, those sort of, it's customer generated content. And I think that's very powerful and, and obviously it reinforces a strong brand. So, um, you know, I, I'd be curious uh, what organizations like that, uh, you know, what percentage of their annual budgets uh, dedicated to customer experience, mm -hmm. because obviously they're doing something right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we, we strive to create a, a similar community with our folks. I think I think something around 10 percent is probably something to kind of aim at, to be frank. Mm. Again, that covers also support functions and, and you know, call centers if you have such um it's not just one thing of the design. It's also the maintenance of it. Right. We, we are aiming to have this conversation around leadership and leaders and, and helping other leaders be more customer-centric uh, in, in practical terms and in day-to-day -day versus conceptually. Because what we have found is that conceptual to day-to-day -day is where kind of there is a break. Um, if you go around the, the cooler, you know, everybody would agree that customer experience is important, yet we don't see um, in, we don't see enough brands take action and specific programming around that. Um, what do you do as a leader yourself to get there? S for those people who are, are listening and like, I don't know how to make that connection and transition. Sure. Well, I've been fortunate enough to work with the Specialty Food Association now for, like I said, over 20 years. So um, I, I, over that time, I've gotten to know our customers really well. But I think what's really important as a leader is, um, you know, and obviously we're all remote at the moment, but, you know, internally walking around the office, speaking to the staff, trying to get a sense for what they're hearing on the front lines from the customers. And, you know, I, I try to dedicate time to uh, have one-on-one -on -one with, with every staff member. And I've gone through a couple of rounds of that at this point. But one of the things that's very important to me is I try to uh, reach out proactively to members each week. And I try to get a sense of what's on their mind, what are their pain points, how, how do they perceive uh, the SFA in helping address those pain points. And I, 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 for me, that, that's always been the, the best use of my time is to sit with uh, the, the people we're trying to serve. And uh, you know, and at different points in my career, I've actually tried to create opportunities where I've walked in the shoes of the people mm -hmm. we're trying to serve. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I would find a way to somehow make myself anonymous and uh, mm -hmm. try to go through that customer experience myself and kind of better understand what they're going through. Um, because I, I just think hearing directly from the source is important. And, and we do a, a number of surveys and we analyze uh, data and whatnot. Um, 
But I, I always think that, and, and I, I emphasize this with the staff about being proactive and engaging with our mm-hmm. customers mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and not only doing that, but trying to share that information across the organization. So it's like, so what are we hearing from the members? You know, what, what are they saying? And, um, you know, and sometimes that helps us identify trends where we could say, wow, you know, our members are really getting into e-commerce these days. What, if anything, should we be doing there and how can we help support them? Uh, so, yeah, so for, for me, uh, and, and I would recommend this to any leader, is to, you know, stay connected with your staff, particularly those who are directly engaged with the members, but also spend some time with the uh, customers you're trying to serve and understand what their pain points are. And if possible, um, you know, in in, in uh, pre-pandemic times, uh, we would get out there and, and visit members at their places of business and um Boy, that's been the most valuable experiences I can recall in my time with the Specialty Food Association is, uh, you know, actually seeing the facilities and uh, better understanding what their business is like on a day to day. So I think, thank you. And I think that's also where the inspiration comes to be excited about going to work every day. It's also, you know, emotional journey to connect with the people you serve I still remember my journey to uh, Brooklyn with um, uh, one of the staff members of SFA. We saw a kimchi producer. We saw a beer maker people. It was such an amazing experience, but it also gave me this real uh, understanding of of what uh, the members need. Uh, you can you can get that in the office. I I completely agree with you. I think that emotional connection is huge, and you know, for for the industry that that I'm in, it's particularly gratifying because these are such passionate people that care so much about their products, and they always typically have great stories <laughs> behind how they arrived at where they are at today. And you know, and and those are things that uh, they really sit with you and. Um, it's a constant reminder, and, and we try to do this when we have our all-staff town hall meetings, is to remember why we're here. And, you know, it's it, we're here to serve those customers. And that's something I learned early on in my time at the SFA. In fact, um, the, the leader, when I joined the organization, one of the first things he told me is he pointed to this big board and he said, you know why you're here? It's it's to serve the members. And uh, so that really resonated with me. And, and that's kind of always been my personal North Star when, when I think about, um, you know, why why we're here. Let's go back to your experience challenges of digital versus physical. You kind of hinted that you're doing things differently than the others. Tell us more about how, how did you approach it and, and what... What are you doing these days for the members? Yeah, well, you touched on it a little bit earlier about this idea for respect for people's time. And we recognize that uh, traditional trade show environment is not the most efficient use of people's time. Um, In most cases, uh, they they go in with some sort of a game plan, but you still have to walk from one end of the hall to the other. And, um, you know, it's... You know, th- there's some there's some upside and downside to that, right? Because you might discover something that you didn't anticipate seeing. Um, but at the same time, if I'm a small shop owner and I can only commit half a day to visit the fancy food show, well, you know, h- how am I going to make the best use of that time? Well, they're, they're not 
they're likely not going to see all the makers that they need to see. But in a digital environment, we can leverage technology in a way that's deliberate. Um, we can help match the the makers of the products with the buyers of the products so that um, it, it's a really efficient use of time. You know, obviously you, you miss some things in a digital environment when it comes to food, right? The, the All the senses, the smell, the sounds, the taste and whatnot. And we've tried to incorporate a virtual tasting program into our digital environment so that, that the makers of the products have a very defined audience that they get to talk through uh, a Zoom environment, but the the buyers of those uh, products have samples, and the maker is taking them through the packaging and the story behind the program, and then the tastings and whatnot. You know, I, I think we've had an emphasis on efficiency and effectiveness, and you know, that's one of the beauties of technology is that it allows you to leverage those tools in a way that um, delivers the outcome that you're trying to achieve, and. Um, you know, it's again, I, I think back to some of the things I learned from you during, you know, our, our time together. And, um, you know, you had mentioned, I, I think you, you know, you've, I, I know you've always been a big fan of technology, but um, I think you had mentioned to me at one time that we have to start with the customer and the problem we're trying to solve or the experience we're trying to create for them and then, you know, work our way backwards from that. And, uh, the other thing that we try to do in this digital environment is not uh, solely rely on the technology itself. Uh, what we tried to do was integrate that human element, the human engagement into this process, because I think it's w where you really have the most success is when you find the right balance between technology and human engagement. Um, and, uh, you know, being totally reliant on one or the other is uh is is leaving some value uh off the table so so yeah so we have our uh, uh you know our, our staff members there engaged in in all these activities so that as you're experiencing a, a digital uh, what we call specialty food live you also have the opportunity to engage with a human being if you need help or you need assistance navigating something um so that's, I, I think, you know, is what we found to be really successful. And uh, our, our our members certainly have expressed that their thanks and, uh, you know, for the handholding that we do through that process. I agree that fusion done with the right ratio is the magic. It's uh, And it takes reiterations. There's nothing wrong with tweaking things, especially now that you're in an uncharted area and, and whole, like the world has gone upside down. Why do you think leaders are holding back and not acting on, on customer experience as much as to us it feels they should? I, I guess like I was a little shocked in the corona year last year that I don't know that I saw enough pivoting or enough uh, of, of um, creativity to to across industries. Um, from, leaders seem to just kind of, they kind of froze and, and didn't really go the route that you just walked us through. What what do you think is the whole, like the hang up and why they don't act? Uh, I wish I had a good answer for you here, Liliana, but I'm not quite sure why that is. <laughs> um, I, I think we, we, we've seen some really great examples of organizations that have thrived in this pandemic environment and have pivoted. Uh, I'd, I'd like to think that we're one of them in that as an organization, we've been 
you know, what I've been calling physical first, meaning everything we did uh, was really reliant on a uh, sort of an in-person environment. So we, we had a printed magazine, we had our events and trade shows and whatnot. And when that was pulled out from under us, we we could either flounder and, you know, try to figure things out, which unfortunately some organizations did, or we could say, okay, this with, with disruption comes opportunity. Right. And I think it's a mindset. I, I think you really have to, uh, look at the opportunities that, you know, uh, sometimes unfortunate situations bring and how you can continue to deliver value. Um, and yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I'm not quite sure why some leaders and organizations struggle with that. And maybe it's uh, a complacency or a hope that things are going to bounce back to normal. <laughs> I, I know that in the trade show and events industry, uh, you know, f- for several months now, I, you know, I see these newsletters and whatnot. And it's like, sometimes I, I feel like telling these people, like, wake up. Like, the the world has forever changed. If you think that uh, next year trade shows and events are just going to bounce back and it's going to be like the old good times, you're, you're going to be very disappointed. Again, it's a, it's a lot of hard work too, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Um, wow, that's actually it, a good point. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uncomfortable. It's it's taking everybody out of their comfort zone, you know? And, um, and, and it, it, it's been a difficult... Uh, almost a year now that, that we've gone through this process, but I know that we're going to come out on the other side of this in a much more positive way because we put in the hard work and, and we, we were open to looking at things differently. And, you know, again, I, I think it, it, it really comes down to, uh, you know, how, how the leader, uh, acts in a situation like this, right? Cause you know, when, when things are tough, everybody looks to the leader to say, uh, what are we going to do? Oh my gosh, this is happening. And, um, you know, I think it's important to remain calm and to be confident and, you know, be clear about, you know, what it is we need to do. And, uh, so I don't know, beyond that, you know, I, I wish I, I, I knew a little bit more into the mindset about, <laughs> yeah, you know, no, I, I hear you. There is no direct answer. I just kind of wanted to talk through because it, it is, around us and it's very fascinating to me that uh, it's th- th- there is no sense of urgency like you said um, although yeah. we see the crash <laughs> coming up <laughs> there right. seems to be yeah. no not no, not real sense uh, of of kind of let's pivot here so well, one of my one of my favorite things Liliana that I always think back to and and this was several years ago when I saw uh, Simon Sinek uh, mm-hmm. give a TED talk, and he was talking about the golden circle yep. and starting with why. And so you start with why, and then the the I believe it's the what and the how. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I have that pinned up here in my office, and I think about that quite often. Mm-hmm. It's you know why if we start with why, then the how and the what we can figure that out. So I, maybe the, the issue is that sometimes it's just you always look at the, the how and the what because that's what's in front of you, right? Um, but if you really take a step back and think about the why, I, I, I think that's probably I agree. a valuable exercise. I agree. Actually, most of the time they think about the what mm, and then right. the how. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. You know, our show is called The One Thing. 
So we're going to ask each guest kind of the same question. Um, what is the one thing that you would say turns customer experience into a success in, in an organization? And then the second kind of part of this is what's the one thing that's on your mind these days that's just kind of irking you or like the light bulb? What is occupying your brain? The one thing that probably changed a lot for our organization and, and in terms of customer experience was, uh, believe it or not, it, there there was a time when we didn't really pay too much attention to the data. Um, and, you know, d data is an interesting thing because what was important to me is not capturing data for data's sake. It's kind of understanding, is it actionable? Mm -hmm. And if not, then why are we wasting our time collecting it or measuring it, right? But I, I think for us, that was really uh, a, a pivotal time mm -hmm. because um, we started to do a little bit more with data capture and analysis. And once we started investing our efforts in that process, it really opened up our eyes to new insights and information and um, helped us provide a richer set of information, to understand how to best serve the customer. And, um, you know, we had always conducted surveys to collect uh, the qualitative feedback, and we still do that to this day. But having the quantitative results uh, certainly helps with that. And and we've done some different things over time. We've used beacon technology. We've used LiDAR. Um, but to your point, I think it's really important that you have to understand the why and, you know, the, the, the reason, mm -hmm. you know, because technology is fun, right? And you spend a lot of money and a lot of time playing around with these different technologies. But if you don't understand the purpose of what, you know, what, what you're trying to uh, ultimately arrive at, you know, you're, you're going to be disappointed in the end. But uh, so, yeah, so, th so the data thing was a, a big mm -hmm. thing for us. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, the one thing on my mind at the moment right now, I, I would say, you know, the pandemic has certainly disrupted many industries, including our own. And uh, I feel like I'm an optimist. I feel like, like I said earlier, disruption with disruption comes opportunity. You know, the, the thing that's on my mind is how we continue to create valuable experiences virtually uh, for our industry to conduct business while dealing with the reality that, um, like I said earlier, many, many other organizations are throwing together these experiences that are not really well thought out and, um, you know, mm -hmm. delivering a negative experience for our customers. So, you know, I believe face-to-face -face is critical for the industry that we serve. And, um, you know, hopefully we get back to some sort of a semblance of that. Uh, but I think that the digital opportunities that presented themselves over the last several months are, are not going to go away. And in fact, um, I think will impact the face-to-face -face going forward, because I think unless you give people a really good reason to congregate in person to book that flight to, you know, spend time away from family and whatnot, um, you're really going to have to give them a, a unique uh, value proposition there, right? And, um, you know, for us, we, we do have the benefit of the fact that it's a food industry. So people, you know, always need to taste, touch, smell. But beyond that, you know, it, it's a community and it's a community of people that really are reliant on each other and, and want to connect with each other. You know, it's navigating the next few years of what that looks like. Um, you know, I've heard hybrid events is the next thing or, you know, uh, there's a whole bunch of things being thrown around. So, um, you know, and our big 
trade show is ever even going to come back or or you know one of the things that we talk about is more of a local regional approach where we can bring people together in safe environments that are um you know maybe within driving distance if if people are still hesitant to hop on a flight there's a lot of things that keep me up at night unfortunately <laughs> um i hear but, that <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh it's not it's you know not good for my health but it's uh it, these are interesting problems to solve yes. and and like i said i'm i'm an optimist and i feel like there's uh some some great new opportunities on the horizon and you know we're we're figuring it out yeah well, I mean, going back to data, right? If you just listen yeah. to them, we did hear regional back in the day. So you kind of know mm, that you right. can't go wrong there. Um, yeah. So you, you do have more input and more things to go on in terms of risk management to know that it, this can go well. And then if you reiteratively collect data, uh, you can understand if, if the whole idea is off or if just the how can be tweaked and then it will take off. Uh, yeah. So if you have data as your friend, I think you'll be fine um, getting to the right answers. Yeah. So yeah. Bill, how can people connect with you if they're interested in continuing this conversation with you? Well, thanks, Liliana. I would love to hear from your audience members. Uh, be happy to speak to anybody about uh, the SFA or customer experience in general. Uh, best way to, to reach me directly is through my email, which is blynch at specialtyfood.com. Uh, you can check out uh, all the wonderful programs and services that we offer our members through specialtyfood.com. And uh, if you want to hit me up on Twitter, it's at President SFA. And uh, through one of those channels, I would love to uh, hear from any of you. So thanks for the opportunity. Well, thank you so much for joining the Petrova Experience and, and myself um, on our first show. This year is very big for us in terms of having the right conversations with the right people. So it means a lot starting this with you. Well, Liliana, I'm completely honored. Uh, I think the world of you, uh, you are, uh, what you're doing with the Petrova experience and, and the impact that you had on the SFA that we still talk about to this day <laughs> is uh, something very special. And um, I, I'm grateful for your friendship and uh, I wish you all the best with uh, not only the podcast, but everything you're doing with clients and whatnot. Thank you. The One Thing is produced by the Petrova Experience in partnership with Mount Media Network. Copyright 2021. Visit thepetrovaexperience.com and find the Petrova Experience and me, Liliana Petrova, on LinkedIn and Instagram. You can also find me on Twitter at Liliana Petrova. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.